The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio. The answer in San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Got a packed show for you to this uh, the, this afternoon. And I, uh, so let me uh, tell you real quick who our guests are, and then we'll get into the program real quick. Um, first of all, we've got Mr. Jason Jones, who is our our uh, Breitbart reporter and expert on crime at the border. And the uh, border crime, my friends, has taken a, a dangerous escalation. And uh, he's going to be reporting about uh, some activity that's happening on our side of the border. Then we've also got Mr. Todd Bensman, who's another one of our regular guests. And he's going to be chatting with us about some changes in the visa regulations that uh, the president has t- has taken and uh, what it means uh, in, in trying to curtail and stop any type of terrorist attack of people coming in as, as uh, students or uh, visitors or whatever. It's very, very clear, my friends, that we need to tighten up our immigration policies as it pertains to our visitors and students. Uh, so Todd's going to be speaking about that. Then we have my very, very good buddy, Sheriff Mark Lamb from uh, Pinal County, Arizona. I reached out to Sheriff Lamb because he contracted uh, the uh, coronavirus uh, a a few months ago. And uh, I wanted him to tell us what his experience was. And uh, being that, you know, so much has been talked about in in the paper about uh, the president, uh, I wanted to hear from, uh, from him what he experienced. And finally, we've got uh, a very special guest from the White House. Yes, from the White House, another one of our White House friends, uh, Mr. Joe Lavernia. Uh, Joe is uh, the special assistant to the president and chief economist for the National uh, Economic uh, Advisory Council in the, uh, at the White House. He's going to be chatting with us, my friends, about uh, the, new, the economic uh, news that surrounds the stimulus package, the discussion regarding the stimulus package, and uh, the outlook of the economy in general. So uh, I hope you'll stick around. I hope you'll call your friends and tell them to tur- tune in to uh, our show. Uh, George Rodriguez on KLUP 930 AM radio. Let's go to our very first guest. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got our good buddy, uh, Mr. Jason Jones, uh, who was a captain with the state law enforcement folks. And now he is writing, uh, his, uh, he's writing articles and doing investigative reporting for Breitbart. Uh, and he's come across a very, very powerful story, my friends, uh, regarding the uh, escalation of uh, of human smuggling um, now with uh, armed, heavily armed uh, human smugglers. Uh, Jason, welcome to the show. Talk to us. Tell us what uh, this uh, incident that you're reporting, what does it mean to uh, law enforcement, first of all? What does it mean to border security? And what the heck does it mean to us as citizens? Yeah. George, as always, it's great to be with you and with your audience. You know, this is one of the things that I've been trying to warn that was coming uh, at our border and beyond if we were not taking aggressive action to go after the cartels and to hold them accountable in Mexico. And you've heard me say in the past that what happens in Mexico directly affects us in the United States. And about a year and a half ago, um, I reported extensively on this on your program, but about a year and a half ago, the Los Zetas cartel, also known as Cartel del Noreste, went to war in Miguel Aliman, which sits right across the border from Roma, Texas. Roma sits about an hour outside of McAllen. And finally, after battling with the Gulf Cartel, also known as CDG, the Los Zetas have won that plaza. And when you have a takeover of a plaza, you have effects on the U.S. side. And that's what we're seeing. This video that we broke, um, it was it, the incident occurred on Friday just outside of Hebronville, and basically what the video is, is it's a group of human smugglers, heavily armed. You'll see in the video a rifle uh, with a drum magazine. 
trunk of the vehicle, but they are almost 80 miles north of the border. And, you know, this is a game changer. It is a paradigm shift in what we traditionally see. I mean, human smugglers usually are never armed and never as extensively and heavily armed as we see in that video. The other thing you notice is light bars on the dash and a light bar up on the window. Now, that is also consistent with what we see with Sicarios and how they operate in Mexico. So we're seeing the same tradecraft, the same tactics in Mexico now, not only on the U.S. side, but deep into Texas. And all of that that is on the video is trying to get around the Hebronville checkpoint, so they're on back roads. And as you see at the end of the video, what you what you notice is that as they exit the vehicle, you see people jumping over a fence into an awaiting Ford pickup truck that immediately speeds away with all the people that were just transported. That's a common uh, human smuggling tactic that's well-known by Border Patrol in the Hebronville area, and that gate is also well-known by Border Patrol. So we've been able to affirmatively link that location to a well-known smuggling spot that's been smuggled, you know. Now, what, first of all, what does that mean as far as the, the security for law enforcement folks? You know, now that the Las Zetas have taken over across from Roma down to about Ciudad Victoria, all of their tactics are being seen on our side, and, and that's exactly what you're seeing. Now, this is not the only incident. About a week ago, Border Patrol agents arrested an individual who had just uh, put a bunch of people who had crossed illegally into the back of his pickup truck. He was fixing to flee, and they were able to stop him. They arrested him, a, law, a local individual from Roma, along with several illegal aliens, but he was armed with two pistols. So, I mean, literally, I mean, what, what this is, uh, it, it's, it's going to get more dangerous for our law enforcement folks. I, I mean, whether Look, I, I will, I will tell you right now that we have missed every tripwire, and this is why I've been reporting on your show and anyone else that will listen extensively. Because when you have these kind of things happen, you have to expect to think, you know, something, uh, uh, some other incident that we are trying to prevent. You know, the a large shootout where our citizens are injured or shootouts where officers are injured. We're trying to prevent those things, but, you know, we got lucky. I mean, the truth is if a Border Patrol agent who usually is driving by himself in a car or a Texas Highway Patrolman or a local law enforcement officer would have gotten behind that vehicle, who knows what would have happened. I mean, you saw how heavily armed they were. And not only that, they were in full camouflage tactical clothing as well. Yeah, yeah, really, we've we've seen that. I mean, you know, this is, this is, this is, uh, uh, the kind of of stuff that you would encounter maybe in Afghanistan and uh, you know or or some other hot spot, but certainly not uh, in Hebronville, Texas. Now, let me ask you this uh, regarding the the situation with um, uh, uh, with with our citizens. I mean, you know, I mean, not only uh, is this dangerous for law enforcement folks, but uh, we've seen the uh, the amount of uh, casualties in northern Mexico. Uh, over the past year, I mean, in the thousands, uh, obviously, if, uh, you know, shootouts begin to occur here, whether it's between law enforcement or between uh, between law enforcement and the cartels or between uh, the, the, the smugglers themselves, I mean, uh, this this could become very, very dangerous, could it not? It, it absolutely could. And, and I will tell you that, you know, we have a lot of citizens that live around Hebronville. I mean, it's a great community, and you have a lot of big ranches and ranchers out there. You know, if, if these folks had believed that they could have been law enforcement trying to stop them, who knows what could have happened. And, you know, this is the concern. But it is also something that should be dealt with. And this is why I get very frustrated, because we have seen the progression in the quantum leaps of tactics, training, and hyper-violence with the cartels. And it is time for our government to step up and do what needs to be done. And I want everyone that's listening to know that this is fixable. We know, those of us who have been battling the cartels and building programs to go after their leadership in Mexico, we know what needs to be done, and I will lay it out right now. First and foremost, we need to finish the border wall. Second, we need to collect all transnational crime data, because even in 2020, the FBI's broken uniform crime report does not capture the incident that you just saw on that video. It doesn't capture it. So it's like it never existed in the statistical world of analysis at the end of the year for crimes occurring in our country. And third and final, and this is the big one, we must designate the cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. What that does specifically does not mean we're going to war in Mexico. What it means is that now we have the authorities 
and the tools of national power to do what needs to be done. And I'll give you a great example of that, just one quick, fast one. It allows us to put them on no-fly watch lists. Now we limit their mobility globally. They can't go outside of Mexico, and any of them that are here in the country, we don't have to investigate them for two years. All we have to do is go find them, pick them up, and remove them from the country. So it allows us to move much quicker, much faster than the investigative process we can use now. And to the audience listening, a lot of you hear uh, uh, law enforcement talk about follow-the-money investigations. Sure, that's great, but there's still investigations. With designating the cartels as terrorists, we can just go after their money anywhere in the world. We don't have to go through these long investigations. So you see where I'm getting at about how speed matters and what this will allow us to do. This is how we win. George, I give you a lot of credit, man. You are one of the guys that is trying to show the folks what's really happening. And I get very frustrated. You know, I know we're in a national campaign, but there are sometimes there are things that affect national security and our citizens that have to get out. And I can tell you, you know, Breitbart published this, but no one at the national media, either uh, left or right or center up down, is willing to talk about this. It's you and Breitbart. That's it. <laughs> Incredible. I, You know, we talk a lot about COVID and how dangerous it is. But, um, you know, uh, somebody with a somebody, a human smuggler with a uh, uh, a hundred round magazine, I think is a little bit more uh, dangerous. <laughs> well, I, I'm with you. Not only that, you know, um, look at the cargo they're shipping. I mean, in 2019, the Mexican cartels were responsible for killing 71,000 Americans from overdose deaths. I mean, we're seeing more fentanyl and more methamphetamine than ever at any other time in history. And it is time to change U.S. policy. And as you know, George, that's what I'm all about, because we need success on this. It is time. What we've done for 50 years is just not working anymore. You got it, buddy. Incredible. Jason, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. And, of course, we're bringing us this very, very disturbing but very, very important uh, news item. Tell the folks where they can follow you and, and read more. Sure, you can find me at jasonjones.com. That's J-A-E-S-O-N-Jones.com. Excellent. We've been talking with our good friend Jason Jones, with Breitbart, and former captain with the uh, Texas, uh, uh, was it the Texas Highway, uh, the Texas uh, State Troopers? Department of Public Safety. Department of Public Safety. Thanks a lot, and you take care, buddy. You as well, George. Good talking to you. Good talking to you. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, my uh, our good buddy, uh, Todd Bensman, from the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd has just completed a very interesting article that I want him to talk to us about regarding uh, people that are coming into the United States for a little less than, uh, than what we uh, think they're coming in for. Uh, we've had a lot of questions thrown at the, at, the, uh, uh, at the Trump administration for limiting people that come into the United States uh, with visas. Uh, not, we're not talking about the illegal aliens that are crossing illegally, obviously, but we're talking about people that come into the United States. What is their purpose? Uh, how carefully are we screening them, et cetera, et cetera? Of course, when the um, Trump administration has done it, there's been screams of, of anti-immigrant uh, uh, xenophobia and racism, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the article that uh, Todd has written is very, very interesting. Todd, thank you for taking time. Thank you for being with us as usual. Tell us about your article. What uh, what are you focusing on here in the article? 
Sure. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for the attention, George. Always good to be on. Last week, the Trump administration published a proposed regulation to restrict student visas and J visas. Uh, those are F and J visas. The student visas are the F, and the cultural exchange uh, researchers, uh, mostly they're researchers, um, are the uh, J visas. So what the Trump administration has done is proposed to put time limits on those visas of either two years or four years, where you, uh, if you're in the country studying at an American university, uh, or working at a, a research lab, one of the big labs, and you're from a different country, then you would be eligible to renew your visa after two years or four years. This applies to people from 59 countries. And in doing that, you would have to state the um, purpose of your study again, undergo security vetting, do a face-to-face -face interview with a trained immigration officer, whereas the way things are now, it's open-ended and laissez-faire. You don't have to check in. You can stay for years and years and years without anybody asking any questions about it. So uh, these are kind of a prudent national security measure. Uh, if you read the actual language of the proposal of uh, the proposed regulation. It kind of explains to you why they're doing this. And it really boils down to Chinese espionage and international terrorism from Islamic countries, because you'll have, uh, we've got, we're in the middle of a long series of arrests for espionage of Chinese students who work for the People's Liberation Army and are working, uh, studying and working in the United States and stealing our high technology secrets and shipping it to China. Now, let me let me uh, let me remind the folks that, again. First of all, that these are people that come into the United States legally uh, under under a visa program. However, uh, the question that I have always had, as well as many others is uh, the motive for these people coming into the United States, particularly when they're coming in from China, who uh, has, is showing us to be less than friendly, uh, not to mention from Arab, uh, from Muslim countries, where uh, we have seen a lot of uh, uh, attacks by Muslim uh, extremists on some of our bases even lately. Um, and, yeah, and these, these come in, the... the, the Chinese spies are typically coming in on student visas, which ask the question, are you a member of the Chinese military? Or have you ever had any military training at all? And they are saying no. <laughs> but in actuality, and then they're, we're just waving them in, and they're going to our, you know, uh, you know Stanford and um, University of California, San Francisco, UCLA, and shipping our high technology research and development information back to the Chinese military uh, because the students actually are members of the military. There have been about 10 arrests uh, in the last uh, few months in the United States. The president revoked over a thousand uh, Chinese student visas in May and uh, they are running for the hills at this point, and the FBI can't quite catch enough of them. You know, as they are. Now, why why do why do these universities, the universities, why are they so uh, upset that we are trying to uh, defend our country? I don't understand that. Well, I mean, it's pretty simple self-interest. Uh, the research institutions get cheap labor, uh, trained, skilled, high-skilled uh, free labor, so. They like that. That's good for that's good for for the institution and the universities that are taking in uh, you know tens of thousands of Chinese students are bringing in billions and billions of dollars at full tuition. By the way, um, every year uh, just for um, you know regular tuition. So it's good for you know the university system. It's good for you know the the academy. So to, so to speak, but among those students and exchange visitors are spies and terrorists. 
and I guess not everybody knows this, but one of the 9-11 hijackers, Hani Hanjour, uh, was a pilot, flew one of the planes into the building, and he came in on a F-1 student visa and just simply overstayed it, never even a- attended the school that he said he was going to attend. And we have, um, in the years since, tried to tighten up the vetting on the front end from uh, of students from those countries. But, you know, it's hard to vet people, and we still have had quite a few Islamic terrorists come in from Saudi Arabia, from Somalia, from other countries uh, on the 59 list. The list of 59 countries have come in and either were caught in the act of uh, conducting terrorists or terrorism or actually con- conducted terrorist acts. So what this does is the new rule would require that anybody from a Muslim-majority country, uh, many of the countries on the list are Muslim-majority countries, to check in after two years and apply for an extension. And when you check in, that means you have to have a face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball interview with a trained DHS immigration officer. You have to show that the you spent the, the previous two years doing what you said you were going to do in the program that you were uh, signed up for. And then you have to you would have to show that, that there's a need for another two years. And that seems pretty reasonable to me uh, to do to have that for people from countries of terrorism concern. Will there be any other vetting? I mean, will there be any any type of background investigation or anything into these people as they apply? Yeah. Well, for one thing, they're going to start, if, 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 you know, assuming that the rule is approved, and it probably will be here before the, the end of the month, is that uh, people who are applying for student visas will have to provide their uh, fingerprints again and retinal eye scans and biometric information, and they'll probably um, have to provide information about their social media whether or not we check it is another issue but uh we will have an opportunity there'll be an interaction face-to-face interaction with an immigration officer who will conduct an interview and can conduct an investigation if they want run terrorism database checks uh, make sure that um, this person is not engaging in any kind of deception and uh, essentially just, you know, check, uh, do a full background check again and make sure that they're not getting into trouble going down the wrong path again. So yeah. it's, a, it's just a great new uh, touchstone for the federal government to just check again on how people are doing. Um, if, they, if, they're, if they've got nothing to hide, if they're willing to tell the truth, happy to tell the truth, there should be no problem at all with this. I mean, how many of us go through TSA screening every time we go to the airport, you know, and have our bags checked, and most of us are happy to do it. Our heart rates don't go up, you know, when we it, it's really, It's really strange, you know, and we've only got a, min- a minute to go here, but it's very, very strange, the opposition uh, by uh, folks regarding uh, regarding the, you know, putting any kind of restrictions on these um, on these visas, um, do you anticipate more more uh, pushback? Well, there's you know public commentary uh, is, is open for for this. You can find it online at the Federal Registry, and when you run through that, you know you find a lot of opposition. People claiming it's unfair and it's going to put a chilling effect on students abroad who won't want to come here. And uh, I guess that's because you know. You have to meet with a DHA, an immigration officer. I, I you know it beats me why that's a problem. Uh, but uh, you know, there are others who are saying, you know, this is racist and uh, <laughs> all that kind of thing. And uh, you know, it yeah. is what it is. But uh, I'm just the point of my article was to you know kind of plow through some of that and get at what the proposal itself says its purpose is, and that's to reduce the threats from espionage and terrorism. And we have evidence that spies and terrorists use these visa programs, have used these visa programs in the past to get into the country and do harm. That's right. That's right. Todd, uh, we got to close here, but uh, I really, really appreciate uh, 
you taking time to be with us and, and really to educate us because a lot of us don't know exactly what's going on. Tell the folks real quick uh, where they can read more about you and read your articles. Sure. Well, this uh, piece is the piece that we were talking about today can be found at cis.org. Uh, look for my name, Todd Benzman, in the blogs, and you'll find that article. Uh, another version of it is about to run in Homeland Security today, explaining what this proposal is and what its purpose is. And you can always go to toddbenzman.com and find all of my work. Excellent. We've been talking with Mr. Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd, thank you very, very much for taking time with us. Sure thing. Happy to be here. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, our good friend Sheriff Mark Lamb from Pinal County, Arizona. Uh, he's been on the show before. Uh, and uh, we wanted to ask him and get him on because Sheriff um, Lamb uh, tested positive uh, for the COVID uh, virus not too long ago. And uh, we wanted to ask him what his experience has been like, uh, if he knows how he got it, uh, and, uh, you know, what uh, his work situation has been like as a sheriff. Uh, we know about the situation that has gone on recently with the, uh, with the president and uh, how some of the uh, news media has had a meltdown over the issue and even some... Uh, how really, really nasty some of the uh, folks have been with him, wishing him ill. Uh, I think that uh, Sheriff uh, Lamb faced uh, similar situations. Sheriff, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Tell us about your experience with uh, with the COVID virus. How has it, how, you know, do you know how you got it? How has it progressed? How are you feeling? Well, good morning, George, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. And, uh, yeah, you know, the whole experience was a little bit, uh, uh, it, it was an experience. <laughs> you know, I think I got it at a, a yard sign giveaway event, so I had done, a, like, a campaign event. We did it outdoors so that we could have social distancing, um, try to observe those things. But I don't I don't ask, you know, if people want to wear a mask, that's fine. Um, I, I have a feeling that we're all adults here and everybody knows we're in the middle of a pandemic. So anybody who shows up without a mask is doing so on their own free will and accord. I believe it was there that I got it because it was a few days later that I was asked to go to the White House, made the trip, got to the White House. That was on a Saturday. On a Tuesday, I got to the White House, was tested as their protocol is, and uh, about eight minutes after they tested me, they called me and said, hey, you need to come back down to the infirmary. You tested positive. So I, you know, I was in disbelief. I went downstairs. I'd been pretty much asymptomatic at that point. And uh, went downstairs, they tested me again. This test took a little bit longer, so when they go back and touch your brain. And came back about an hour later and said, yeah, you're, you're positive. So I actually had to drive home from Washington, D.C. I couldn't fly back. Uh, drove home. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. But luckily, I did not get it very bad. I, I just felt a little run down. Probably wouldn't even have known I had it if I'd not. Uh, been tested so just a little run down a little bit uh, of a cough and that was pretty much it uh, it was more excruciating going through the 14 days of quarantine it, that was probably the hardest part wow you know and uh, and during that period uh, you know you uh, just like the president you suffered some some nasty nasty notes as well I mean I remember reading some of them on Facebook nasty. it's so sad that this is where America's gotten you know and I have seen it kind of brought back some flashbacks with seeing with some of the stuff that people are saying to the president and about the president wishing him to die and all those things it's just it is so and, and most of these people are from the party that's supposed to be the party of compassion and caring but that just shows you they only care about you if you believe the same way they do and it's sad that they would think that way about a president look i didn't like president obama and uh, i didn't like his politics but i would have never wished death upon him if i met him i would have shaken his hand like a man um, I would have been respectful of his position, and I think that we need to get back to that in, in, in this country. 
I went through it. I had a lot of nasty things to the point where my wife used to help me check my messages on on Facebook. And uh, my wife came in upset for a couple days and finally had to tell her, look, this isn't your mantle to bear. Please don't check the messages. And I actually turned off Messenger from my actual Sheriff Lamb page because of that. It just was so ugly. And, uh, you know, I don't mind if people disagree with me, but the things that they were saying was just so awful. And uh, I, I feel for the president that he's got to go through it. I'm sure he's got some layers. I don't have any layers. I had to actually be the one checking those messages and the comments. So uh, it was not easy, not fun. But, you know, it, this is what happens when you're in the limelight or you're in a position where people feel like they can attack you. Have you had to uh, wear more masks? I mean, or masks? or uh, I mean, how, how has it affected you? Well, that's what drives people crazy. Even when I had it, they were doing interviews with me, and they said, well, are you going to wear a mask now? And I said, no, I'm not going to wear a mask. I don't want to. I, I, for one, I have asthma, but that's not, you know, I just feel like it's an infringement upon our rights. I think that they're, this is a control thing, and um, a lot of people are going to disagree with me and say, well, it's not about you, it's about other people. Um, and, look, we can argue about that all day long. I've done plenty of my own research. Unlike most people, they're only wearing... They're only doing what they're doing because they were told to by the news or because somebody said, said this is the way to do it. And, you know, I've actually done my own homework. I've read a lot of research, read different papers about the different, you know, stances on it. So it's, I, I don't need, we don't do uh, mask wearing on, the, on our road here. Yeah, here's the thing, and this is a tribute to all the, the men and women who put on the badge every day because guess what? We didn't get to stay home through this whole thing. We kept going to work. And not only did we keep going to work, we started having to deal with all the other issues that were coming up, the social issues. So we've, these good men and women have done this job under these circumstances, under these social uh, atmosphere, and uh, we have, they've continued to show up to work, we, as have we. The only time I've been out of work in the last, since this thing started, was when I was on uh, quarantine. That's it. Other than that, we've stayed business as usual. The reasons I don't have my deputies wear, my, wear the mask are a couple reasons. For one, you show up to somebody's house, you're already, everybody's already high anxiety. And during this time, we've seen that their emotions are higher than ever. Um, they're depression, their anger, their frustration, everything is boiling over. When you put a mask on a guy shows up uh, to a call, immediately you're, you're heightening that. And so we want them to see our guys' faces. Um, and also, we haven't trained with the masks. I think that a lot of agencies across this country that have required masks for their guys without training have put themselves and their, their agencies and their counties at a tremendous liability. If one of your deputies or officers gets hurt while wearing a mask that you haven't trained for or you haven't taken into consideration any health issues, you haven't done a physical examination of that guy to determine whether wearing a mask is going to be healthy for him or not, or if he's in a fight and the mask covers his face and he gets hurt, you are going to have a lot of lawsuits come out of this. Um, and so we don't do that. We have we stay away from the mask. We just encourage our guys that they're in a situation where they feel like they'd be more comfortable wearing the mask, then we encourage them to do so. And we do provide them with it. But um, I just don't feel like it's, it's something good for us to wear on a continual basis every day. You know, one of the interesting things that uh, has occurred uh, in the past that has not gotten the me media attention that this has was when there were a lot of young people, a lot of the kids that were crossing the border uh, back during the uh, the Obama administration. A lot of those kids had fleas and lice. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but I mean, the, the reality, um, there were a lot of folks that were coming across uh, parents that uh, had mumps and measles uh, with kids. And uh, there were a lot, a lot of Border Patrol agents. There were a lot of police officers along the border. And here in San Antonio, there were a lot of firefighters, public safety folks, uh, first responders that came down with all sorts of, of, uh, of diseases uh, and, uh, and, well, even vermin, I'll say that. I mean, a lot of lice. And, you know, nobody, the, the media and the Democrats didn't say much about that, uh, no, which, in my opinion, was even worse. These last few months have exposed what their real feelings are for us in law enforcement. We don't, they don't care about us. We're a hindrance, a nuisance to them. Um, they feel like we uh, are the enemy, which is shameful that your own, um, your own elected officials that were sent back to Washington to, to 
Republican or a Democrat, have turned their backs on us and have actually uh, assisted this this false narrative in making us the enemy, and that's shameful. And so this is what this done, has done is this has exposed the way that many of them feel. And you're right, they've never cared about us. This is not the first time we've encountered risks. And that's really the message here overall is, like you mentioned, there's so many other risks that we encounter every day. That as law enforcement, COVID has really honestly been one of the least um, worrisome risks that we've run into. The only bad thing was is if somebody got it, we had to quarantine them and, and, and quarantine whoever had contact with them. And that was the biggest challenge that we faced. But um, we've been responding to calls during this whole time, and uh, we've had very, very few contractions amongst our employees. And most of that did not occur in the workplace. It occurred at, it occurred at home. So... Um, if you think you're going to avoid risk in this life, you're kidding yourself. People, unfortunately and tragically, die every day. It's a reality that we face in this profession, and I think that helps us understand this COVID situation a lot better than most people. Is because we do understand that risks exist, and that we can't stop doing what we're doing. We can't stop being Americans. We can't stop going to work. We can't stop sending our children to school because there's a, an ex- in this case, an extremely low risk of contraction and an even lower risk of death. The American public really has to dig to find truth anywhere between the internet, social media, the media outlets. You know, we're we're faced with a lot of misinformation and my only uh, advice to people is just encourage them to maybe turn off the TV and try to do as much uh, <laughs> investigating and, and research on their own to understand how to navigate these difficult times. You got it. Sheriff, I am so happy that you're doing good, uh, that you're healthy and, and still working hard. Uh, we've, been ta- we've been talking with uh, Sheriff Mark Lamb from uh, Pinal County, Arizona, and uh, we wish you the best and uh, keep up the good fight. We need to call you back and talk to you about uh, what's going on with illegal immigration and the, and the uh, cartels in your area. Yeah, it'd be good. We just had a bust uh, last Thursday, 124 pounds of heroin. Uh, 103 pounds of meth and 54,000 fentanyl pills. Oh my gosh. So I gather that uh, there's still problems on the border, huh? Oh, yes, sir. They have not (laughs) gone away as much as the media doesn't want to talk about them. Uh, Hopefully uh, the people in this country will still uh, raise these issues with their people that are trying to get elected to understand what their plan is to protect our, our communities through border security. You got it. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP, 9.30 a.m. radio. We've been talking with our good friend, Sheriff Mark Lamb, America's Sheriff. <laughs> I've, got, I've got your T-shirt, American Sh- America's <laughs> Sheriff, <laughs> from uh, Pinal County, Arizona. Thanks a lot, Sheriff. Thank you, sir. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, a new special guest with us. Uh, I, I mean, really, really, somebody that uh, I am very, very happy to uh, to uh, have roped and hooked into uh, our, our uh, lineup, um, Mr. Joe Lavornia, who is the special assistant to the president, to President Trump, and uh, the chief economist for um, the National Economic Council in in, uh, in the White House. Uh, I wanted to ask Joe because uh, of the stimulus talks that have been going on and the uh, uh, our, our economy that's uh, been hurting 
uh, because of COVID, uh, to please give us uh, give us some some information, give us uh, some economic news regarding the stimulus package, and uh, what the outlook is for the economy. Uh, we, you know, here in in Texas, as in many other places where there are a lot of Hispanics. Uh, before COVID hit, we had been uh, buzzing along. I mean, it was the greatest economy that uh, a lot of our folks had ever seen. So, Joe, thank you very, very much for being on our show. Talk to us. Tell us about um, uh, the uh, stimulus talks and the and, and the economic news. Thank you very much for having me. Let me uh, answer your question, but start with the second part versus the first part, and that is where the economy was. You're correct, George. It was very healthy. We saw an unemployment rate back in February uh, this year at 3.5%. Uh, that was a 50-year low, and it was at record lows across the board for every race, ethnic group, you name it. I mean, it was a great economy. Data recently that came out uh, showing uh, detailed information on 2019 uh, Census Bureau figures on real median income showed that living standards last year rose the most in absolute and relative terms on record, far eclipsing what had taken place over the previous administration's eight years, even going back 16 years. And uh, what we also noticed in that data was the biggest gains occurring at the lower income level. So it was really, really a great economy. And the reason that matters is because that foundation has allowed us to come back much faster than what we had than we otherwise would have had the economy not been fundamentally strong. In other words, the economy was strong. It was forced to shut, output collapsed. But then as things reopened, the economy's natural recuperative powers against the backdrop of a pro-growth, pro-business, pro-consumer-led uh, economy that was put in place by the president, things started to recover. We now are in a self-feeding, self-sustaining V-shaped boom. There's no question about that when you look at all the various economic statistics. However, coming to your point about stimulus, we would like to take out an insurance policy. Insurance policies are prudent. It's risk management. And that's why when the talks fell apart in the summer, in August, because the Democrats were just uh, really hadn't even pretend to meet us halfway, the president used executive order and other actions to provide eviction moratorium relief, student loan relief. He used the FEMA funds to give people an extra $300 of unemployment insurance. And he also had a payroll tax deferral put in place, which saved upwards of some people's like $1,100 check savings they were getting for those companies that followed through and, and passed it along to their to their employees. So there was a lot the president did. Negotiations have resumed. Uh, Secretary Mnuchin is working incredibly hard. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, certainly we think even a slim-down bill that the president's talked about that provides $25 billion of money to airlines, $105 billion to schools, which is actually $5 billion more than what the Democrats wanted, uh, monies for small businesses that would work through the payroll protection program, uh, in addition to direct mail checks of $1,200 or thereabouts. Those are all things we want. There's bipartisan support for it. The Republican plan started at a trillion. We're one six. We're in the middle. And Democrats at this point haven't met us. Maybe we'll get a standalone plan, I hope, because it's going to help those people that you talked about. Um, you know, if there's any silver lining here, it's just that the economy, as I had said, is really booming. It's in a V-shaped recovery. We could talk about all the other statistics that show that. So we're on the right track, and I can tell you and your listeners that what we can't do, because there isn't an economist, regardless of his or her political persuasion, persuasion that believes that a higher, significantly higher taxes and onerous business regulations are, are, are pro-growth policies. It just isn't going to happen. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens on the stimulus. You know, one of the fa- fascinating things that we've been watching with uh, with uh, Democrat-led cities uh, and states, I guess, but uh, here in San Antonio, for example, we've got, uh, you know, Democrat-dominated uh, government. And uh, while they scream and yell about um, the stimulus package, uh, they accuse the, the White House of not doing enough, they themselves are shutting down businesses. They, uh, you know, they they don't let businesses uh, uh, operate uh, other than at uh, twenty five or 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 fifty percent at best. Uh, yet they want economic recovery, and uh, I mean, I don't understand it. That you know, that sounds like you know uh, reforming the police while uh, not reforming the criminals. The uh, look, we've uh, all along. Uh, have 
try to reopen and reopen safely. And we've delegated that authority because that's what's legally in the Constitution for states to figure out what policies they want to put in effect. As you know, George, states have different characteristics. They've got different population characteristics. They've got different demographic characteristics, urban density. Every state, in some ways, is almost like its own country. So each state is doing things differently. However, I think in some instances, the restrictions have been so onerous that it doesn't even seem like it's public safety <laughs> at that state. There's just the desire to not reopen uh, for, for reasons that I, I don't want to be so cynical, but don't seem like it, it, it's a prudent approach because uh, certainly there are risks in life. You want to be safe. We had mitigation efforts that were put in place in the summer when places such as Texas, Florida, Arizona, and others that had these spikes, we were quick on top of it, work with those governors to make sure that the, the, the increase was mitigated. That's what's happened in your state. As you know, uh, businesses have begun to reopen again. And I think you have to really take a holistic approach, which this administration has done, because we also need to have people go back and live their lives and be able to make money and support their families. We know there's a tremendous amount of hardship still, even these days, even though the unemployment rate is a year plus ahead of schedule, 7.9% unemployment isn't what we want. And that's why the president worked so assiduously over the summer to do whatever, over the summer to do whatever he could to get money in people's pockets who needed it of all background. We do better when everybody does better. And the good news is, if we continue on this course of the policies the president has laid out, that 2019 census data will continue to be the blueprint going forward of how this economy can, can perform. Uh, you know, it, it's one of the things that we see here in South Texas is the issue of uh, uh, stimulus assistance for illegal aliens. Uh, that was one of the things that was very, very hot as far as uh, a lot of our, our listeners and friends were talking about, um, that uh, the Democrats kept talking about uh, wanting to uh, include that. Now, here in, in, in South Texas, we have seen the economic competition with illegal immigrants uh, for decades, for centuries, <laughs> I mean, since the border existed. And uh, it seems like um, uh, Democrats haven't learned anything from it. They just, I mean, I remember when there were unions that used to be pro-American, but they don't seem to be that way anymore. Uh, has, uh, is that part of the, the stimulus package still in there for, uh, from Pelosi to, uh, to help illegal aliens? That, uh, that, George, is what they say is a rhetorical question. I don't, uh, I, I don't know what the, uh, I'm not privy to what is in the minutia of the, uh, of the current uh, set of legislation, assuming that they've, they've gotten further along uh, on this. I know that at the moment, at the time we're doing this, there, there was a, a scheduled call between Secretary Mnuchin and Speaker, Speaker Pelosi again today. So the fact that both parties are talking is, is, is encouraging. They're still at the negotiating table. We'll see what happens. I don't know what's going to be in the details of, uh, of, of, of any agreed-to bill. But again, if you listen to what the president has said, he wants to get money to where it's needed most. So airlines, schools, people who are in hardship, sending people a check of $1,200 who need it to get through this very difficult time. I mean, these are really bipartisan issues. Uh, I, I wish that the other side will meet us halfway. Maybe it happens. Uh, we'll see. We, we're doing the best we certainly can. Again, I just as, a, as an optimist and a believer just in U.S. exceptionalism and dynamism, the economy really is doing doing quite well. There's a series, George, that, that measures new business formations, business applications, and in the third quarter of this year, we saw the most amount of new business filings that we've seen uh, since the middle of 2007. And even though we've got this horrible pandemic that has really just been really terrible, uh, no fault of our own, obviously, the economy is vibrant and people are, have a lot of ingenuity and entrepreneurship. It's just the great American spirit. And that, to me, is laid down by the, by the president's indomitable optimism and, and can-do nature. We're seeing it not just obviously domestically, but foreign policy-wise, I know I'm going outside my lane, but there's just so many great things from an optimistic perspective that the president's put in place. Unfortunately, a lot of it isn't played up in the press. Uh, it's every little tiny thing that may not go the way people want it that's highlighted, and it's, it's sad. But I can tell you the president's working extraordinarily hard to help Americans get back on their feet. We're making great progress, and I see no reason why we we don't have even better times ahead, assuming we, we keep our pro-growth, pro-business, 
pro-consumer policies in place. Well, I can attribute. I, I can tell you that uh, you know we would much rather hear uh, the message of of uh, faith and hope uh, from the president than the fear and doubt that the uh, Democrats and the uh, fake press keep uh, keep spreading. Uh, here in the in the closing part, we've only got about uh, a minute to go. Uh, what's uh, what's the bottom line that you would or message that you would give us? The bottom line message is is twofold, and that is the president created an extraordinary backdrop for all Americans, particularly those that have had had been, I say, had been the most disadvantaged, who had not seen increases in their living standards in decades. And what we saw last year was that rapidly changing, and unfortunately, the pandemic uh, caused caused what was an extraordinary economy to reverse. But the president through his policies and optimism and allowing the animal spirits of business entrepreneurialism to, to thrive is coming back, and it's coming back very strongly. And if we're going to go down a road of higher taxes, massively higher taxes in the trillions, and a reimposition of government regulations that's job-destroying for good American-paying jobs, but we're not going to continue this recovery that the president has basically laid out. It's just not going to happen. If I'm in my old private sector job, I'm looking for a really, really lousy 2021, if that's the case, if they go down that road. And I'm hopeful the American people won't choose that option. It's just, it would not make any macroeconomic sense for somebody who's been a forecaster for many, many years now. Thank you very, very much, Joe, for taking time to be with us. We've been talking with Joe Lavornia, Special Assistant to President Trump and Chief Economist uh, for the National Economic Council in the White House. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you, George, for having me. It was a pleasure.